Welcome everyone to the first episode of this podcast series that we call Environmental Justice Litigation. Uh, so this podcast is a student project at the University of Oslo. My co-host Eva uh, Svalina is a master student of maritime law. My name is Konrad Sandvik. I am a master student of economics. So we're doing this because we wanted to take you all along on our journey as we talk to experts and uh, learn more about the recent climate lawsuit where activists took the government to court under the new environmental paragraph in the Norwegian constitution. So Eva, who are we talking to today? So today we are talking with a member of the Greenpeace Nordics, one of the plaintiffs in the case, along with the nature and youth. Uh, we are hoping that we will hear a little bit more about their motivation for starting this case and uh, their comments. Do they think that it was worth it? So I think we can now kick off to the interview. So uh, with us today, we have uh, Alen Telnes, campaign leader of uh, uh, climate lawsuits and oil at Greenpeace Norway. So thank you so much for being with us uh, today, Alen. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to, to join. It's a pleasure. Uh, so first off, can you uh, just uh, give us a short uh, rundown from your perspective, maybe to someone that hasn't heard about the climate lawsuit before, uh, what it was and how it unfolded? So the climate lawsuit was, it's, it, we started it all the way, or started thinking about it all the way back in 2014 when the Norwegian constitution was amended and the environmental paragraph was uh, strengthened with uh, a better text that made it uh, kind of enforceable for us to use in the courts. We had been working on oil and climate for many years already to stop new drilling in the Arctic and uh, for oil spills and climate change. Uh, but the amendments of the constitution that made, uh, made it possible for us to also use uh, illegal strand of work to stop more oil drilling. Uh, it took some time, but then uh, one or two years later, we filed a case against the state, uh, pledging that new oil drilling in the Arctic was in violation with um, no Norway's commitments to uh, reduce climate gas emissions and, and stop climate change. Uh, this went through the legal system, and uh, last year we had a final judgment from the Supreme Court uh, dismissing the case. Um, so, uh, all in all, we lost a lot of the, the legal proceedings, but we can also say that we, in some way, won because climate and oil is now a very important topic in the parliament elections and in the public discourse as such. So that would be, the, I think, the basics of the uh, a long campaign summarized in a very short time. But what would you say, uh, what were the main goals you wanted to get out of this? climate lawsuit. Yeah, so, so the, we had different things we wanted to get out of it. The, the most important was, of course, that we wanted to stop more oil drilling in the Arctic, um, as that is both a threat to the ecosystems and um, a threat to the climate. Uh, and then we knew from the start that illegal victory would be hard. Uh, was not impossible, but we knew that uh, this is uncharted territory, it's a new paragraph, um, no one ever filed a lawsuit like this before, so we, had, we didn't know if we would win, um, but we aimed for it. Uh, and that was one, one of the victories. We wanted to have a legal victory that would stop drilling, 
but we also wanted to use the case uh, as a platform to change people's minds. So we wanted to use it to talk about climate, to talk about oil, and to talk about all these things in the kind of management of oil in Norway that are so wrong uh, and that we need to change. And I think that part of the strategy has been very successful over the years. And as I mentioned before, like oil and climate is now um, a central part of the election campaign that just was, um, the parliament election in Norway. And I think this case is one of the reasons that has kind of been uh, building up to uh, become so important. Not only one, but one of the factors. Um, you said that you thought that it's going to be hard to win this case, but did that feeling change during the course of proceedings? Yeah, I think um, after kind of working with the case and developing the law and all of these things, I think we had quite strong belief that we would win more than we did. And in the Court of Appeal, we had some, some strong victories. We didn't win everything, but the, on the fact, on the matter of exported emissions, so the case that we are sending oil out, instead of like we're exporting oil and we're not counting the emissions from the oil when it's burned, that was more or less one in the Court of Appeal. So we did hope that we could get kind of from the, from the start and until, and from the city court to the Court of Appeal, we felt that we won a little bit more and a little bit more. And then we thought that, okay, now we're going to Supreme Court, and then we really had hopes that we could also, we could get even more there, and maybe also win the, the, the matter of kind of, is it illegal or not to drill in the Arctic? But um, yeah, but that did go the other way. So we kind of had a hit back again in Supreme Court, and that's the end station for the Norwegian legal system. So then that's where it stopped. And you're touching on something very interesting there, and we'll uh, get uh, get back to that a little bit uh, later as well. But first, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about the um, the area, the where the where the licenses were given, uh, about the ecosystem and um, uh, everything. Yeah. So the, it was given out. 10 production licenses in the or exploration and production licenses in the in, in the Barnes Sea uh, and a few further south, but we were focusing on the one in the ones in the Barnes Sea. Uh, some of them were in the it's called Barnes Sea Southeast, so that's the area closing up to the Russian border. And some a bit, and that's the first time for more than 20 years that there's been licenses in a completely new area when they were handed out, and there's a few licenses a bit further. West, also in the Barents Sea, and, and several of them are kind of as far north as you can come uh, on the Norwegian continental shelf. So they are something like 200 nautical miles from the in the tip of the Norwegian mainland, um, and uh, close up to both the kind of ice edge and the, the polar front that are two important ecosystems in the Barents Sea. So the ice edge is the area from where there is obviously ice to where there is no ice, so from 0% to 100% ice. And the polar front is where the, the cold water from the Arctic meets the warm water from the Gulf Stream. And both of these areas are important kind of feeding grounds for krill, uh, for birds, for fish, uh, and other animals that lives up there. And that makes an oil spill in that area much worse than many other places on the continental shelf or in the oceans. Um, 
So that's why that's why it was especially important to stop drilling there. Um, and then, of course, for climate reasons, that the oil that they take up will lead to further emissions when it gets burned. That's also that's a different question, but also means like um, an argument that goes for drilling also other places on the ocean. Yeah, so there, there are kind of two main parts to this. It's both the, it's a very delicate local area where such a thing as an oil spill could have very drastic consequences. But it's also the fact that we are reintroducing a lot of carbon to the atmosphere by pumping up the, the oil and selling it to be burnt uh, in other countries. Uh, but um, uh, I was wondering if you have any um, insight as to how the government assesses the risk of um, of extraction in an area and what they take into account yeah so we in our case we've kind of we we, we pledged on both so both on the local impacts on oil spills and on climate and during the course of the case we figured that the climate argument was much stronger uh, in the eyes of the court because the the local impacts, well, not the local impacts, I mean kind of possibility of oil spills and uh, other kind of impact on the local environment. Uh, those are, um, uh, didn't go so well because it's so much well managed already by the state, or well managed can be discussed, but it, there's a lot of science and there you have management plans that are updated every four years that should look at, that would look at kind of uh, what are the, the science and, and the possible stressors for the environment and what are the industries that want to operate. And then they're supposed to look at everything together and then kind of define what we can do where. Um, they sort of have a reasonable amount of bureaucracy to protect their decisions in that area. Yeah, exactly. So they're saying that, yeah, yeah, we, we want coexistence and of course we can drill up in the ice edge because we do it so well and we have a lot of studies that says yeah th this is the state of the environment so from and looking from kind of environmental activists kind of drilling up there is of course terrible and uh, but look but, but the politicians are saying that this is the we have looked at this and we think it's an okay risk and then we can campaign on that complete politically but it was hard to take it through, through uh, the legal system or how to get those arguments through yeah because it's so it's hard for the judges to overrule that kind of parliamentary proceeding and uh, and government bureaucracy of course yeah yeah and uh, uh, yeah the laws aren't strong enough i think for that and uh, what's we figured out uh, but on the climate side we went through all the assessments done uh, when they opened the area Back in the end of the 70s, they opened the Barnes Heath drilling first for the first time, and when they opened Barnes Heath Southeast, um, then they they have never looked at kind of the impacts of the climate emissions that would come from the oil they take up. They looked at a lot of local impacts, but on climate there was not a word mentioning it. So that's what we pointed out also in the case that you have to take into account that when you look for oil we take the oil up from the ground and then we have to assume that it will also be burned um, and that that will create emissions uh, and that's the argument yeah we focused on in the court and in, in the at least the second third round so you mentioned role of judiciary and we'll get back to that soon but before that uh, we wanted to discuss uh, something that happened this year 
we have seen that International Energy Agency declared that the development of new oil and gas fields is incompatible with the Paris Agreement's goals of limiting global warming. And soon after, we have seen that Norwegian's authorities decided to award new oil licenses. How do you comment on that? Yeah, that, it's, a, it's a paradox we've seen in Norway for a long time, where they, on the one side, they present themselves as very green um, and then environmental champions. Um, they give a lot of money for rainforest protection and are very kind of uh, trying to be constructive in, in the climate negotiations. And then on the other hand, they hand out oil licenses and, and drill for oil um, and then tell themselves that it's okay and uh, the one equals out the other one. And that's also what I argued in court, that we're doing so much on yeah, electrical cars and rainforest protection that we can take up some oil. Uh, but it's really a paradox and it, it's, uh, I think it's something that uh, that will have to change, like we can't continue with it. And I think, like, when I started on many years ago, when I started with working with climate, then just talking about oil and, and climate in the same sentence was like, it, it, it never really happened. It was two different policy areas within the state. And now it's, it's starting to get much more linked together as one. So it is changing. Uh, and, and I think more and more are realizing that it's, it's not compatible to drill for oil. Uh, in, and solve the climate crisis at the same time. Um, but of course, it's going too slow, and that's kind of understanding. And it was also one of the reasons why we filed the case was that we saw this dilemma and we wanted something, some kind of tactic that would link together oil and climate. And I think the laws have done that in a very, in a very important and good way. Because this is what you were touching on earlier, right? When they're opening a new area, they know that they will take up this and this much oil, and that will probably be burnt when we send it uh, out of Norway. But yet we don't care about those extra emissions that we cause globally, because uh, the way we account for climate emissions, uh, at least in our current system and in the Paris Agreement, we care about where... Uh, uh, where the oil is burnt or uh, but not where it comes from or what role the distributor or the dealer as uh, as we are in this case uh, what role we have in it so we kind of wash our hands of it in uh, in some way and presume ourselves to be to be where very green um, but yeah. uh, it's a drug dealer that won't take responsibility for people using the drugs yeah, we we actually uh, used an example like that in uh, another interview where we where we um, uh, we took uh, took some inspiration from uh, a lot of the environmental activists calling uh, the world's um, need for oil and an addiction, and talking about uh, what if the Norwegian government had. Um, an, um, an amendment to the constitution where we say that we are uh, trying to get a drug-free world and um, look at how little drugs we are using in Norway and then we're still dealing drugs to other countries and if the Supreme Court would look at it the same way that uh, it's, uh, it is compatible to sell drugs even though we are committed to working against the drug-free world. Uh, do you have any comments to that example? Yeah, that, I think that uh, it's the Norwegian paradox, paradox in a nutshell. And I, it, it's also been 
it's been a lot in the public debate now and i think there's one part of that debate missing because there's in the election there was this discussion and kind of okay because the argument against stopping oil is of course that will it have any impact like if we stop reducing wouldn't someone else just produce more uh, and then we have seen no independent studies saying that um, it will not like there's been a, a study from Oista which was paid for by the oil industry but apart from that all the in independent studies have said that it will have an impact it's not one-to-one -one, but if we reduce our production then it will be uh, increased somewhere else but not the same amount so not everything will be replaced uh, and that but that's the one side like the other side of the debate that is maybe harder to calculate is kind of the political signals political signals that will be sent by kind of europe's biggest oil producer uh, stopping to looking for oil kind of what will that do to the financial markets to all the investors that are kind of looking at risks what will it do to other governments um, and kind of the public discourse as such and that that's much harder to um, to calculate but it's a very important kind of effect of you know stuff that should be i think more covered in the debate and that will make the impact of it much stronger and it's might also one of the things that makes it difficult to take this case through the legal system that what we're talking about now now is are very political questions and evaluations uh, perhaps and uh, i was wondering if you had any comments to uh, people saying that uh, Norwegian gas is something that helps alleviate the need for coal power in uh, in Europe and therefore arguing that uh, that uh, actually opening new oil fields where we find gas and oil is uh, actually helping the environment. Yeah, I, I think it gas can do that in a very short, very short term because Gas, gas differs from oil because oil is used mainly for fuel and transport, while gas is used for electricity and heating. Uh, and then it directly competes, of course, with coal. So in the short term, yes, it could reduce some emissions because we could phase out coal. oil, uh, coal. But in the long term, it's not a very smart investment because we have to invest in pipes and infrastructure uh, and a lot of kind of, yeah, a lot of big investments to to kind of keep delivering gas um, and the end station is not gas the end station is of course renewables and that is growing so fast so why should we do a stop on the way why can't we just go kind of directly to renewables and that's the one side and i think the other one is that i think it's been used gas has been used as an excuse for the oil companies to they're saying like yeah, yeah we're looking for gas uh, but in reality, they're, of course, looking for oil because it's much more profitable. And then often when they drill, they get some gas and they get some oil. Um, until quite recently, they just left most of the gas stay um, because it's not been really profitable. Uh, now the gas prices has increased a bit. So now, now maybe it's more profitable in maybe middle-term length. But long-term, I think it will be uh yeah it, it it won't be a big thing because it renewables will take over i think yeah. hopefully yeah that, but it's i think that's the way we're going and we're seeing uh we like i don't have them here but we're seeing the reports we produce that looks at renewables as already uh, out like compete out gas in some places 
Uh, so it's coming and it's coming fast uh, and hopefully fast enough. So now when the trial is done, do you, uh, at least in Norway, do you, do you have any, um, any evaluation of uh, how you think it went? Did you, did you get any, did you get any wins? I think we, on the legal side, we didn't get everything we wanted. And it was a real disappointment with the Supreme Court. But on the uh, kind of changing people's minds, I think we got quite far. I think if you compare kind of how much oil and climate has been debated in the public when we started compared to now, it's a real change. Um, and of course, the lawsuit is not the only thing that has made that happen. Uh, but I think it's been one important part of it, that because we have been able to talk about climate and oil um, repeatedly for several years and then kept it in the public domain. So I think on that, that side of it, it's been a real success. Um, and something we could, yeah, should remember for, for later cases as well. But can you tell us a little bit more about proceedings which you started in front of the European Court of Human Rights, and uh, what are you expecting from that? From that? Yes. So we did file a complaint to that court, the European Court of Human Rights, and that's not solely based on the Norwegian Constitution, but it's based on the European Convention on Human Rights, Article Two and Eight. Um, and that became possible because of the Agenda case, where they uh, sued the state in the Netherlands and won, based on, because the, the Netherlands state did not have strong enough climate targets. Um, and that opened up for us to also put that into our case. So we have filed a complaint. We, we are aware that kind of around 90% of cases that are uh, filed there are dis dismissed. But we still have a hope that it, it will be heard and that they will kind of judge that Norwegian oil drilling is um, in violation with human rights uh, and hope that will have, a, of course, a strong impact on the Norwegian politics and how cases can be heard will be judged in, in the future. It, of course, they, they don't have the jurisdiction to change the Supreme Court judgment, but there could be a judgment from there can be uh, guiding in future Supreme Court judgments. So still an important, uh, I think, step. And it's very exciting to see if we will have our case heard or not. So it is hopeful to see that around the world some lawsuits are actually winning in front of the national courts, not in front of European courts, as you said, for now. So maybe we can expect um, New new decisions of the Supreme Court in the future, which will be different and more in regard to those national courts in, let's say, Netherlands, which recognize the need for the state to act. To yeah. I really hope so. And there was a there was a wave of climate litigation cases that was filed around two thousand nine, uh, two thousand nineteen. Uh, and of course, these cases takes many years to go through the systems, and we don't need to win all of them, but many of them are bold and they're asking for great things and for great changes. So if, if only a few of them are successful, then that could be have a strong impact on, on the discourse for the, the climate policies and the politics also in many, many places. So it's a, it's a high hope that that could change. I think, but in Norway, I think we're 
uh, because of kind of the defeat you had in the Supreme Court and the costs that you had with going through the legal system, I think it we, it could probably go some years before we see a new attempt. But um, I think globally, this kind of I think the the campaign with climate litigation is is going fast and it's just growing. Yeah, so so with the limitations that the legal system has as like a tool for climate activism, uh, where do you see the future of that both in Norway and the rest of uh, the rest of Europe? And and how would you how how would you explain that as a part of the work that organizations like Greenpeace would do, uh, for instance? Yeah, I think it's it's becoming an more and more important part of what we're doing. Um, there's been a long tradition in Norway for using the legal systems. We saw it all the way back from the Alpha case many years ago. There was also a lawsuit, and we're seeing it now with uh, anti-wind farm protesters and us using the climate lawsuit. There's been a wolf uh, lawsuit. Uh, so it is happening, and I think the main obstacle is that the uh, the costs and the financial risk that the organizations took on when they started. And that, that needs to be dealt with in some way to make it um, to make it the kind of doable to use legal systems. So because of that, I think we won't see maybe as an auspicious, ambitious uh, lawsuit as the climate lawsuit was, but maybe we could see smaller ones uh, happening uh, around the country. Uh, globally, I think it looks to me that it's, it's growing. We see, have seen a lot of uh, cases filed. There was a mention there was a wave in 2009, and there's also been cases after that. And soon we'll see, starting to see results of all these cases. Um, and that could yeah, hopefully lay the ground for uh, new cases or actual changes in the, in the world. So I think that's what we're aiming at. Do you think this case was particularly hard to get through the Norwegian court system because of our history of uh, being very dependent on oil in, in your history? Yeah, I think it's two-sided. One is that kind of it, it was it's not been done before. I think I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but like in the in the city court, we were faced with kind of the debate, does this belong in the court or not? And we were labeled, labeled as an activist case. Uh, and that changed during those first, the first year that now, now was accepted as a part of democracy. Um, so that's the one, I think that's the one side that, uh, uh, yeah, it needs to be accepted. Can you repeat the question again? I forgot the second part. Yeah, if you think it was particularly hard to get this through the yeah. Norwegian court system because of our recent history of oil dependence. Right, yeah. So, yeah, one side is what I said, and that this is, it's, it's, um, uh, it, it, it's a new tool, and it needs to be, takes time to be accepted. I think the other side of it is that it was a very ambitious lawsuit. Uh, if you compare it to the Agenda case we won, they were asking for uh, kind of just saying that this is the climate target of the Netherlands, this is what science says, the goals need to be adjusted so they're strong enough. Uh, we took it one test step further, we said that okay, we have climate goals, we're part of the Paris Agreement, uh, and, uh, on top, and that means that we have to stop oil drilling. Uh, so we also, we're taking it from the goals and one step further into kind of an implementation on kind of what we should do to limit global warming. Uh, 
And, and I think that's a harder, well, harder kind of case to win because then the state could say like, yeah, but everything we do has impacts. And on the one side, we're saving rainforests, we are sponsoring EVs, and then we also have to do drilling. And we do drilling and we build roads and we do other stuff that emits. Everything we do has some kind of emissions. So it's a much harder argument to win, um, but also I think more impactful if you would have won. Um, so that's, I think, it's a, yeah, it's a two reason why this was a hard one. It's kind of a follow-up to that. How, how would you say, uh, what's your experience of being in a climate activist organization in a country like Norway that has the dichotomies of a lot of subsidies for EV, uh, EVs and still this booming oil um, um, uh, oil uh, uh, look, I'm lost for words sorry this oil empire that will build uh, build our nation on the, in these uh, last times and still presenting to the world as a very green very uh, renewable and environmental friendly country well it's, it's been an uphill battle like it's I think we realized quite early that this is it's a long fight like it's not there's no shortcuts. The only way to change Norway is if we can change people's minds. Uh, and then there's a lot of fear. Like there's uh, a lot of people working in the oil industry or are kind of in some way connected. Uh, and they would, of course, uh, be skeptical to change. And uh, that's just human nature, kind of. If we're saying we want to shut down the workplace and do something else, of course, they're skeptical. Uh, so it, it's been taking a lot of time to build that kind of narrative of what, where we are and where we have to go and that this green shift. And we see, I've seen it happen in other countries, like New Zealand had a quite similar uh, transition, not, not from a full state, but they kind of, um, they had that climate awakening a couple of years ago that we're now seeing in Norway. Uh, so I think that we're getting there. It's, it's not like hard in the terms of uh, dangerous as it is to be an environmental activist in many other countries, uh, but it's a long fight. Like it's not, it's not happening overnight. Um, but I think that, um, and hard to keep kind of uh, the ambition or the motivation for such a long time. Um, but we are seeing some real progress now in the climate election and the parliament election. Uh, then, so we're, we're getting there, um, which is good to see. And then uh, we, we, we have to win in the end because there's no, yeah, there's no other way, hopefully. But would you say that we can count on the new generations in Norway? Are the young people supporting uh, the work of Greenpeace more and more? We're seeing that when we're looking at our own members and supporters. We think that, and also if we look at kind of the surveys that are done on kind of climate, how climate aware people are in Norway, the young people are much more concerned and they're much more willing to change. And uh, while the older generations are more kind of set into the old ways of doing things. So there is, uh, yeah, I have a real hope for younger people to grow up and kind of demand that change that are, that needs to come. So I think it's coming, uh, but, yeah, question is like, is it happening fast enough? And it, at the moment, it's not. So uh, need to, we need to speed it up in some way. Yeah, because do, do you think that in a, in a way, when this younger generation 
is the one that fills the Supreme Court seats, for instance, that we will see a court that is uh, a lot more open to uh, to taking stands on climate uh, issues like this and taking bold action. Yeah, I think that if when when society is more aware of the impacts of climate change, then the courts will also be more open to be more bold. Um, I can see it's hard for in a kind of conservative Norwegian Supreme Court to take those steps, even though I would really hope that they would they would have dared to do it, because um, I think the the law is open for them to be to to do more and to go further. Uh, but uh, but they didn't. But hopefully, when society is wake, now kind of waking up more, and that will be easier in the future. There, so I think that was uh, everything we had prepared for today, and a little bit more. Uh, but it was really interesting. We thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to us, and also thank you so much for the important work you're doing in this area. Thank you for having me. All right, so that was our interview with Alan from Greenpeace. And uh, what are your immediate thoughts, Eva? I think it was a very interesting interview. Um, I would emphasize two things. First is that Alan said that this was a very ambitious lawsuit compared to agenda case. They took the case one step further, which means that it was maybe harder to win it. And the other thing is that even though they were disappointed by the Supreme Court judgment when it comes to the legal points, they still gained certain benefit because of the public support in this case. And um, if we will see the positive impact for the future younger generations, that will maybe mean more uh, lawsuits like this in the future. What would you say? Oh, I'm uh, thinking about uh, the same things. Uh, we uh, we know, of course, they didn't win through in the courts, uh, but uh, uh, we saw firsthand that there was a lot of uh, support for the for the case in Norway, the, the protests, and especially from uh, from young people. So I think it's uh, it's definitely some some good came of it. But it's, uh, it's, of course, bad to hear that it's, uh, of course, very costly to go to trial in this way. And, it, and because of the harsh decision from the Supreme Court, it might be even harder for, uh, for plaintiffs to do similar cases in, uh, in the future. But uh, we will, of course, go into, uh, into the judgment itself more in, uh, in uh, our next interviews with... Uh, with the legal professors, so I'm really looking forward to that to get even more of the details from the from the case and the decision. So thank you all for listening, and we hope to see you in the next episode. <laughs>